join me in prayer, and then we will read the word of the Lord. Father, as we remember the terrible price that was paid for our redemption, Lord, may we take joy and comfort in it. And yet, Father, as we also think about it, may we understand when our Lord said to take up your cross and follow me and then dying ourselves. Father, give us ears to hear the text that Paul is giving us this day. And we look at the integrity of ministry. And the Father, that uh, in this day and in this age, when there's so much corruption and so it's such a large lack of integrity, Father, I ask that you would help us. Help us to bow before the King of kings and Lord of lords. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. To the glory of the our Lord and our Savior. In Christ's name, amen. Beginning at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also to your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us. So that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. And if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that the one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that. They who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. We are looking at Paul coming up with six reasons to defend his integrity. And the reasoning is that as a minister of the gospel, if he does not defend his integrity, the false teachers can say the man cannot be trusted. If the man cannot be trusted, then why would I trust his words? He makes a statement there that he says, those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. Brothers and sisters, we are up to our eyeballs in that today. It is everywhere, including the church. And the problem that has happened is, is that what Paul has warned here when it comes to quote unquote ministry, men and women have not heeded When they do not heed this, they come to a position where they can be disqualified and they are no longer useful to the Lord. They are no longer fruitful to the Lord. And in too many cases, they don't care. They just, I'll start another church. And these are the kinds of things that you and I need to be very, very aware of. And especially when I look at this whole book in its total context, it is our ministry. Here is what God has for us. And yet there are responsibilities because we are ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ that we will be a target 
And yet there are things that we are responsible for. And I, I, I don't understand why I see so many today who are so flippant with their integrity. It doesn't really matter to them. And, 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 it, and it scares me. It truly scares me. Um, you know, I think about some of the things that have been going on in our communities over the last six or seven months. And, and I shake my head and think, what is it we're doing? What is the evangelical community doing? And uh, it's, it's a tragedy. When I look at this letter and I think about this church, Paul has been out of it for some time now. And now they are accusing him of not being a man of integrity. Now, Paul is a kind of pastor that I have seen, a shepherd, a minister that, uh, yeah, I, I can say that I admire him. Because when I look at him, he never defended himself. It was never for his own sake. When he gets on a defense, in this case, it's on his integrity because it is for God's sake. God has him as an apostle to the Gentiles. If people are running around saying this man can't be trusted, how effective is Paul going to be? And, and I already look at it. One of the th amazing things that I see about the apostle Paul is the Jews didn't trust him. Remember, he was a Pharisee. He was arresting Christians. And now all of a sudden he changed. Okay, but the church is like, really, has he changed or is he infiltrating so he can get more of us arrested? Okay, and then so he basically ends up with a man without a people. So God says, well, that's all right. I planned it that way. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And so he sends them to the Gentiles. And now they're coming around behind him saying, you can't trust him. And he understands that if he's going to be useful and fruitful for the Lord who he adores, then he has to defend his integrity. But it becomes very precarious because there are too many who defend themselves for no reason. And they become, shall we say, boisterous about it. And that steals from the integrity. All right. What you have on your outline there is six reasons for his defense, six reasons for his defense. And we're going to move into verse 11, a little more detail now, because the defense of his integrity is for the Lord. OK, look at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. Stop right there. <laughs> the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. We persuade men. Okay, I am now listen, this is not an evangelistic text. He is saying, I am persuading men to trust me. You need to trust me. Right? Made manifest also in your conscience. You need to trust me. I'm trying to persuade you to trust me. Why? Because of this fear of the Lord. Okay, in Proverbs chapter nine, verse 10, we've all heard it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
All right. And, and so when, when you think about it, when you somebody says fear the Lord, most of the times you get this. Uh oh. Right. Well, that's not what the word means. Let me give you some biblical precedence for this word. So, you know what we're dealing with in Acts chapter nine, verse thirty one. So the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up, going on in the fear of the Lord. In the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it continued to increase. All right. Listen, you don't have comfort if you're fearful. So how can you have the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit? All right. Most of the time when I read the word of fear of the Lord, everybody's like, oh, it's God. That's not what the word is. How do you have fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Spirit? I don't know anybody in a fearful position who is saying, I'm comfortable. Okay. Um, if, if you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, you see it again. Chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. All right. All right. The word fear here is being used. Think about the church in Acts had the fear of the Lord and comfort in the Holy Spirit. Here says, let us uh, perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. I want you to, whenever you read that from now on, I want you to look at it in this perspective. Worship. Worship. Okay. Uh, you could use uh, reverence. Okay. Uh, I have some people who call me reverend, and that, that drives me nuts. Um, I'm not to be revered. Okay, the Lord is to be revered. Um, when when I see this, and especially like in Corinthians seven one, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to be committed to the glory of God. Okay, adoring God, worshiping. God, exalting God, admiring God, respecting God, holding God in awe. That's what the word means. A worship. Okay? To pursue holiness. To pursue holiness is to have an awe of God. All right. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, think about it from this way. The worship of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All right. It isn't this trembling thing. It is this awe thing. All right. The reason Paul wants to persuade the Corinthians about his integrity is because his heart reveres God. It ain't got nothing to do with him. 
It's because he don't want to bring dishonor to the name of the Lord who saved him. And it's the most painful thing. Um, I think the, the, the most difficult part of criticism, uh, of false accusations, um, it's, it's not the personal part that you are personally being attacked, um, but someone will think that you misrepresent God. That is the crushing thing that is involved in it. And that was definitely bothering Paul. There are some who say, that Paul, this guy, mis- misrepresents God. Some would say that he lies about what he says about God. There were some who said that he is not from God. Uh, they thought he was living a life very opposite of, 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 of what he said to live for. Um, he lived, he breathed to honor God. And to be accused of misrepresenting that, how how horrible is that? It's disturbing that some would think that of the Apostle Paul. To think that you are, he was not honoring God? Really? That's kind of crazy if you think about it. And yet, he was... That was the focus of the attack. They wanted him shut up. They wanted to disqualify his integrity so that they could come in and teach what they wanted to teach. And, and, and they bring accusations. And you know what? One of the things that I've seen about accusations, you don't have to have grounds for it. And it doesn't matter what you lay out as your track record. Here's what it is. Look at my fruit. I, I've had to use that before... Uh, but a few years ago, I was accused of goofy and and I, you know, they were saying, well, we hear this and we hear that and we hear this. And I said, I will do this one thing. Here's your accusers. Here am I. Compare the fruit. And I left it at that because I don't need to go any farther than that. And oh, all right. And I'm thinking, the Apostle Paul and his awe for God, that was his passion, that was his heart, that was all that he is. And to have his integrity that he misrepresents the God that he held in such awesome worship, how crushing. See, Please understand, when he says, it's the fear of the Lord we persuade men, it is not that the Apostle Paul is afraid of God. It is because he reveres God. He knows who God is. And he knows his God well enough that he knows his God is worthy of his best. He is worthy of holiness. He is worthy of service. He is worthy of all of his efforts. He knows that his fruitfulness comes from his service to God. And he wants nothing hidden or to hinder giving his all to God. 
Okay, the word there, knowing, is, is, is the word that we get. Settled knowledge. He knows God. Okay, there is an awe of God. He lives his life for God. He lives to bring honor to God and glory to God's name. And he wants nothing to hinder that. He wants nothing to rob that. And listen, please understand, it isn't about Paul. He's not doing it for his sake. He's doing it because of his worship for God. His integrity causes him to be unable to do that if he's discounted. You know, his yes and a no at the same time. Remember that? Is his yes a yes? Is his no a no? And he understood that if that happens, if that takes root, he is fruitless. He understands that he becomes absolutely useless. All right. Listen, he knew God. Um, First Timothy chapter one, verse 17. Now to the king. Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This guy knows God. Okay, this guy knows God and he knows God so well that he wants nothing to disqualify his usefulness. He knew his God. And he knew what his God was like. And he knew his God was worthy of glory and honor and praise. And most worthy of service. And he didn't want anything to hurt that service. God was so glorious, he deserved his service. With every breath he got. It became his passion. It became his number one priority. There was nothing else that swayed him to the left or to the right or slowed him down. And when you think about it, is that not ministry? First and foremost, you must know God. Remember King David? He was a man of integrity and skilled. Okay, if you're going to be skilled in ministry, then you must have a settled knowledge of God. Now you're skilled. Next is your integrity. How do you stand? That's that's what it's all about. And you know what? I have seen over and over and over people who knew God. It is not a new phenomenon. And yet we're not men of integrity. You've heard them. You've heard the scandals. They're all over the place. But you know what I've learned? They're not new. They're not new. Let me take you back a few years. Just a few. Okay. A guy named Jonah. Okay. A great door was open for Jonah. Humongous door was open for Jonah. Begins in verse one of chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Arise. Go to Nineveh, the great city. Cry against it. 
for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, listen, God's telling Jonah, go to Nineveh. Cry against it. Okay, you know what that is? That's a door open. When God says, I want you to go to point B, it's not because well, I'll be there in a month. That ain't the way it works. Verse 3, Jonah rose up to flee to Tarish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship, was going to Tarish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarish from the presence of the Lord. All right, basically what you had, if you had a map, God wanted Jonah to go east, and Jonah's conclusion was west. Okay? He wants to run from the presence of the Lord. The Lord has opened a door and he says, I will go the other way. So he becomes basically puke. Right? The guy's in the ship. Here's your fair money. Get off my boat. And the fish says, huh. And he eats the prophet, a prophet in rebellion to God. And it makes the fish sick in his belly. Make a note. If you're... Walking away from God, you can make all kinds of things sick. And if I think about this, is this not an evangelist dream? I'm going to send you to a city. The whole city? The whole city. Yeah, it's the whole city. Let me show you something. Chapter 4. You all know the story, right? He goes and he prays. And, you know, he gets spit up on the seashore. Oop, ain't getting away from this, am I? Goes into Nineveh, preaches against the city, and what happens? The whole city repents. I mean, the whole city. He doesn't have like a Billy Graham crusade. He doesn't come just as you are. He goes up, says, God is really ticked off at you. You had better repent, and they all just repent. And you're like, wow, cool. You know, <laughs> you know, who's leading his worship? The whale. I mean, that's, you know, there's so many. Never mind. (laughs) Here's Jonah's response. But it greatly displeased Jonah. Chapter 4, verse 1. And he became angry. There's some intelligence going on there, huh? He prayed to the Lord and he said, please, Lord, was not this... What I said while I was still in my own country. Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. You know what that tells me? He prays to God saying, I told you you would do this. Now, I know the history of the Ninevites. They were extremely oppressive to the Israelites. And they were a nasty people. Let me tell you, they were a nasty people. They did stuff that I don't even like to mention. They were awful. And they were always, always taking Israelites captives and putting them into slavery and raping their women, burning their villages, stealing their their valuables and all the rest of it. And he didn't want them saved. And he knew that if God was sending him there, what was God getting ready to do? 
save them. And he's like, how in the world can you do that? But what I want you to see here, this man knew God. He was settled on God. He understood what God, I told you you would do that. That's why I went to Tarshish. Why? I'm going to put this off. I don't want you to save them people. And if I don't go, you won't. That's, I'll make you bait. I knew you were good going to do this. That's why I didn't go. So I'm mad that he saved them. Which tells me he knew God. So there are those who know God, but are not men of integrity. But see, somehow, and I have yet to understand this completely. And, and you know what? I'll be honest with you. I've wrestled with it for years. Could even say even decades. On people who know God, but are not ready to serve him. How, how does that work? If you really know God, how can you not be knocking down the doors to serve him? Is he not worthy? And I don't know how how that works. I do know that you need to be, as King David, a man of integrity and skilled. But I don't understand if I'm working on the skilled side, then I know God. And that should feed the fire to serve him. And the integrity will take care of itself because all of a sudden you realize, oh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's kind of cool the way it works if you think about it. And then you just become obnoxious. He had all he ever wants to do is talk about Jesus and never say anything like it. Well, you ever thought about it? There's a reason that some people only they want to talk about is Jesus. Why? They're in awe. They can't get their minds off of it. This is like, wow, can you believe him? This is, this is Lord. And I think the thing that amazes me in Jonah and so many other cases is they know him. But they're not ready to serve him. I mean, Jonah knew God so well and he wanted to run from him. It's a strange perspective. I don't understand that. And that's why I said it, I've wrestled with this for decades. Because it doesn't make sense if you have the understanding of who God is. How can you not be chomping at the bit to serve? Paul understood God's grace. Paul understood God's compassion. Paul understood God's forgiveness. And Paul says, I ain't running. He wanted to go preach, preach the God who is the savior of all men, the God who would have all men to be saved. He understood that he wanted to be a part of it and he was fired up and stoked for it. That's ministry, people. I really wish I could get that through every single one of you. 
That's it. Know who God is, and then you're just going to be a blazing fire. And you, you can't slow down. You can't be dissuaded. Why? It's the settled knowledge. There is a lot of people who have an intellectual ascension to the things of God. But they don't have a settled knowledge of it. Once that settled knowledge is there that I have seen the compassion of my God. I have seen the grace of my God. The forgiveness of my God. The mercy of my God. The power of my God. And I am settled on it. And I'm fired up for it. And when he opens the door, I'm rolling through it. And there's nothing stopping me. There's nothing slowing down. And I don't care if it is the gates of hell. I will roll. Why? He wants the gospel there. I have seen him. I know him. And you can't sway me on it. That's the apostle Paul. Here you have Jonah. He knows these things. And he says, I'm not going because I know I don't like them people. And if I don't like them, you're going to try to save them. And I don't want you to save them. That's nuts. But it's true. So Paul has this attack on his integrity. And yet, if you think about the Apostle Paul in this just very, this simple text, he's a true worshiper. Because it is the fear of the Lord we persuade men. It is that word fear that makes him a worshiper. He's a true worshiper. You understand why I get a little cranky when I get people telling me about their style of worship now? Okay? It's just one of them things that chaps my hide. I don't like that. I've got a book, The Ultimate Priority, Worship. I'm in the process of reading it. And I just glance through it and say, duh. All right. Why? If you understand who God is, then you have an understanding of his wisdom. And you are now... In that knowledge, now you become settled in it and you become a man or a woman of integrity and you become a true worshiper. He wanted to worship God and he wanted to do it with a life of service. Now, if you think about it, when you think about the word worship, I want you to think about this. It means worthy. Okay. Uh, have you ever seen? Uh, uh, I'm going to get in trouble. Anyway. Ever seen what I call puppy love? Okay. That first zing. Right. They become. Worshippers. You ever notice that? Him and her worshiping each other. At the altar of, ah, right? They do. Some of you are sitting there going, shut up. <laughs> okay? I hate to tell you this, but that becomes on the biblical category of adult idolatry. Uh, I, let me see if else I can throw out there to encourage you. Okay? But what happens is, that person you start thinking is 
worthy. Right? Ain't that what we do? And I mean, we can do that to all kinds of things. I see, I watch guys, I, I know a guy's <laughs> lost his motorcycle. And the reason is, is that he had a, the motorcycle was more worthy than his wife. And she took both. <laughs> and and uh, you're just sitting there going, well, if you'd have treated her as well as you did that motorcycle, <laughs> you, you may still have both. But anyway. It was Paul's goal. Remember Romans 12, 1 and 2? I beseech you, brothers, by the, the mercies of God. Okay? See, again, he's going back to, I know who God is. Right? I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Do what? Present yourself as a sacrifice, a life, sacrifice. This is your what? Spiritual act of worship. True worshipers are not worried about what style of music you got. They're not worried about whether you're contemporary or traditional. They're worried about, I want to know God in a settled knowledge and be overwhelmed with presenting myself completely, wholly as a servant to He who is worthy. That's worship. I should have wrote a book, but somebody beat me to it. But do you see that? I mean, this is not, and everybody says, well, why are you getting so cranky about worship? Duh! It's the ultimate priority and you're doing it wrong. That always goes over well. Because there's times that I have to just say it that way. Because they're not getting the message. Okay, so I... Cut the frills off of it. (laughs) Paul gave everything to God as an act of worship. Now, I want to make sure that you understand that because I want to make sure that every one of you walk out of here without excuse. Paul gave everything to God. If he's a man of integrity and he says, by the mercies of God, present yourself as a living sacrifice. This is your act of worship. He's not saying that because he don't do it. He's saying that because that is who I am. I do this. And so when you read it and you think about presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, then what part would you be leaving out? If you're a living sacrifice, it would include everything. When my daughter went to college, I'll never forget it. They have the orientation day, and I'd taken her out to college. And, uh, of course, the president comes up, and he's going to talk to the kids. And the greatest statement that I've ever heard from a college president. I can only think of one school that would ever say this. But um, he gets up there, and he says, the ultimate priority of knowing God is to worship God. And what we want to do here in this college is we know that you have poured yourself into your kids for 18 years. So they will worship God. We're going to take that and make it so that even when they're doing their homework, it is a worship act to God. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Honey, did you hear that? Daddy looking out for you. 
And everybody goes, homework, worship. Now, she was getting a degree in business. But if you ask her, what was the whole focus of everything there? God, even when I'm getting a business degree. All right. I think that's awesome. I thought it was really great. <laughs> nee, 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 nee. <laughs> he thought he's going to have fun. See, I loved college. It was the classes I never understood. Okay. College was a blast. <laughs> but why do you want me to go sit in that room? But anyway. Paul gave everything to God as an act of worship. That's the living sacrifice. His fear as he says, his awe, his reverence of God caused him to put his whole life before the Lord. Here it is. That's amazing. That is a man of integrity with a settled knowledge that he is now skilled. And one of the things that I have watched in this church is there's people who walk out of here with all kinds of head knowledge, but it ain't settled. And they are not people of integrity. Therefore, you do not see them worshiping God in their lives of service. Ask yourself a simple question. Am I a person whose life shows worshiping in service? Because i got to be honest with you, you know, we've we got the people on the wall. I like to say that they're all joining me daily on the wall. <laughs> I kind of hang out on the wall. There's no rats up there. But anyway, one of the things I've added to my list of things I'm praying for this church is that every single person in this church has a living sacrificial life that worships our God in its service. I think about the Apostle Paul to be attacked in this way to keep him from doing that very thing. That's amazing to me. They wanted to steal his ministry opportunities. They wanted to steal his service. Because his integrity, if it's destroyed, then it's not acceptable. His service is not acceptable. And so Paul has to defend his integrity. It's kind of impressive if you think about it. It's kind of depressing to think that people would actually do this. But it's like I said before, um, it is unrelenting. It doesn't stop. And, and it's amazing how quickly people will want to follow the critics. But if they did it to the Apostle Paul... What would make you immune? And again, you've got to be careful because it's not about defending yourself. It is because it's for the Lord. It's for the Lord. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Okay, again, we're persuading men not into the pearly gates. We're persuading men to say, do you not remember Paul is defending his integrity because he had a reverence for the Lord. He had a worshipful heart. 
He wanted to serve as effectively as possible. He wanted his worship to be seen in his volume of service. He wanted nothing to undermine his service. He knew he he would stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what he'd done in the body, whether good or of absolutely no value. Remember the first word right there? Verse 11. Therefore, why? Because I'm standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And I know him well enough to know that he is worthy of my service, of my pouring myself out as the drink offering. He would be rewarded. He understood that. But if his reputation was ruined, so would his usefulness. And if his usefulness is ruined, he has no opportunity for fruit. And I mean, if he's got no opportunity, he's no not useful anymore, and he's no fruit, there's no reason to be here. Paul understood it. And you know what? We struggle today in this country with, why are you here? To get married? Raise a family? Get an education? A 401k? What? What are you here? To be a living sacrifice, and that living sacrifice would be seen in a sold-out service to the God you know. Paul only wanted to honor God. And the only way he knew how to honor God was an absolute life of service. See, Paul is defending himself. But it is not for his sake. It's not for the good name of Paul. It is for the good name of Jehovah, of Yahweh. God is worthy of service. God is worthy of worship. And you can't have worship and not have service. You can't have service and not have worship. Back to King David and I'll close with this thought again. God appears and tells Solomon... To be a man after his dad's own heart. And then the psalmist tells us that he was a man, a heart of integrity and skilled hands. The skilled hands for you and I is a theology that knows that God is a God of grace, compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. And be settled on it. That no matter what happens... You ain't moving me. And once you are there, then you will see the heart of integrity. And that heart of integrity will make you a true worshiper of God. And all men and women will know that you are a true worshiper of God because they will see your service to the one you say is worthy. Isn't that cool? I just thought that was cool. David had integrity of heart and David had skill of hands. 
The Apostle Paul had integrity of heart and an amazing skill. And the reason that he had integrity in his ministry was because he knew it was for the Lord. And when you have that in your mind, then you can even do your homework in a worshipful way unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for both David as an illustration to us and the Apostle Paul as a man that we should follow. Father, I thank you for these precious saints, these precious souls. I thank you for Pastor Paul and the amazing thing that he is doing in his country. Father, I even pray now that you open door for Jonah and you open doors for Paul, that you open doors for Pastor Paul. Father, let us see doors open. And let us, each one individually, understanding that your worthiness go through those doors with great expectations and a zeal, understanding the grace and the mercy and the compassion that you have laid upon us with every breath we have. May our worship be that of service to your glory and praise. Amen.